So we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And of course, we start with love and go to <laughs> joy. Why am I talking about peace? Well, we had eight spaces for teaching. And because Christian Ezel taught on peace and contentment uh, a little over a month ago, sort of wrapping up our Philippians study, we thought, let's go to peace. I'd like to teach about peace. Could I have the young people come up? Maybe occupy this table here. I want to do an exercise, okay? I want to do a peace exercise, and I would love young-ish people, younger than me. Oh, wait, that's pretty much everyone here. Um, Okay, thank you, James, for keeping that high end of maturity up there for our congregation. Come grab a seat, because I want to I want to help you find peace. Thank you, Jethro. Yes, yeah, so maybe I'm giving your parents a little bit of peace while you're up here. All right, so we're going to try an experiment, okay? We're going to try to see if we can let God's peace show up. And one of the things that's really a bad thing is when we're worrying about something. Do you guys worry about some things? All right, I'm going to try a, a little imagination exercise, okay? You might want to close your eyes because I want you to imagine a place that you've been where you were really happy. Maybe it's like a camping trip. Maybe it's grandma's house. Uh, maybe it's a favorite park. Can you picture that? Can you picture yourself there in that place that is really special and happy, try closing your eyes. Go ahead. All right, put yourself in that place and it's really warm in that place. And Jesus is sitting next to you. So you're sitting there in that place. Take a moment, just get in that place where you can picture it. You can see it, you can feel it, you can even smell it. Now I want you to think about something while you're sitting in that place that you're kind of worried about. Something that's bothering you. Maybe it's someone who's mad at you or someone said something or something coming up that makes you just a little bit worried. What is that thing that you're worried about? You're in that place and here's that worry, that concern that you have. Let that be like a dirty old rock that's in your hand, that thing you're worried about. Imagine it like just a dirty old rock in your hand. Okay, are you holding that thing that you're worried about or scared about? Well, Jesus gets up and, and kneels down in front of you and holds out his hand. He wants to 
to hold that thing that you're worried about. Can you imagine yourself giving Jesus that dirty old rock of worry? Can you hand it to Jesus? Really imagine it. Really imagine giving that worry to Jesus. It's a dirty old rock and you don't need to hold it. Yeah. Jesus is like, let me hold this for you. Can you give that worry to Jesus? Really, really imagine that you're handing that over. You don't have to worry about it. Jesus is saying, you know, it's going to be okay. Can I hold that? That rock is just slowing you down. It's heavy. Think about that worry as a rock and picture yourself giving it to Jesus. You feel a little lighter, don't you? You feel like that worry isn't something you have to carry. He's like, I can hold this for you. You don't need to hold this. Give it to me. Right, quietly, oh, can you play some background music as we're... Those things that wait on you. Something maybe was done or said, or something's upcoming that you're concerned about, something you have to do tomorrow or this week. Hand that over. It's going to be okay. You are going to be okay. I want you to become aware of how much lighter it feels to release that worry. I know it's hard. Maybe you're still hanging on to something. So you've given that rock to Jesus and your hands are empty and Jesus wants to give you something to put in your hand. So he reaches behind himself and he puts something in your empty hand instead of that worry. What is it? Take a look. Imagine, what is that that Jesus is giving you? Ask him, what does this mean, this thing that you've given me instead of my worry? What is it? What did he put in your hand instead of that old rock of worry? Maybe it's just light there, but maybe he's giving you a gift. All right, what do you do when someone gives you a present? What do you say? to thank Jesus for taking that dirty old rock and giving you something instead. All right, thank Jesus for giving you something beautiful in place of that worry. You can always do that. You know what tinnitus is. It's a ringing that's in the ears. I have it. And I never notice it until it gets really, really quiet. That's like 
Jesus and Jesus' peace. Sometimes we just have to get really, really quiet and then it's like, oh yeah, it's been there all along. All I have to do is get still for a second. Then when I get still, I start thinking about the things that trouble me. There's your chance to say, okay, I'm not going to carry this. I'm going to give it to Jesus. Quite often, he'll give you something else that's better. You can go back to your tables. Thank you, Tom and Laurie. Maybe later today you can share with someone what that worry was that showed up in your hands and what Jesus gave you instead. Maybe Jesus still needs to interpret some of that for you. But that's an exercise to help you grasp pieces, pieces like, I don't think it's a feeling. It's almost like a tangible object. It's a commodity that can be conferred, that can be received. In John 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. Disciples are super worried because he's, he's begun talking about what's ahead. That is his execution and departure. And Jesus tells them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. As they're facing anxiety, Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, there is a quality of the Holy Spirit that is about peace. It has something to do with this idea of shalom, rest, completeness, like not just the absence of worry or anxiety or conflict. There's something tangible. There's something more than simply um, neutrality. His first words after rising from the dead and coming to his disciples, that room of probably more than the 12, his first word was shalom. Peace. Peace be with you. And then when he's sending the disciples out in uh, Luke 9 and 10, he gives them this special commodity, ability. He tells them this, Luke 10, 4 and 5. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Jesus gives disciples that power to confer, to impart peace on others. You can walk into places and say, peace be upon this place, and something happens. If in faith, you lay out peace when you enter a place or greet a person. If it's a person of peace, there will be some kind of exchange that happens, some sort of tangible reality. If it's not, it will return to you. 
That's the peace we're talking about. I'd love for us, with faith, to confer peace on one another. Uh, maybe it's just given the peace sign. You know, this was originally, you know, in the in the forties, a victory sign that Churchill popularized. In the sixties, it sort of became the sign of end of war, peace, no war kind of. Uh, it was it was leveraged to mean peace in the sixties. And you know that peace sign, that sort of round symbol with this line that goes top to bottom and these two lines, that peace sign, have you ever seen that? That was a symbol developed uh, for uh, a peace conference and it's the uh, flag semaphore. So uh, the flags down like this, like those two arms is the letter N. and the up and down one is the D, nuclear disarmament. <laughs> Flags of nuclear disarmament, D. And so they turned that into a symbol. So I'd love for you to offer each other a sign of peace. Maybe you want to do the flag semaphore to someone or give the peace sign. Um, shake their hand, touch elbows, really believe that you could confer peace or advance peace or expand peace just by saying, peace upon you, peace be with you, peace to your whatever. Take a moment, give each other a sign of peace, walk about, let's increase the peace in the atmosphere, confer peace to one another. be with you. Enough of this peace. Peace. Be quiet. Be still.
All right, you peace next. This piece is out of control, people. All right, take a moment. Just um, just become present to that hug or elbow bump or peace sign or handshake. Like, receive that. Just let yourself feel that desire, that expression, that conference of peace from another person or other people onto you. Welcome it. Probably they were smiling. Think about that smile. A, f- a family that used to be with this church, the Saunders, Dow Saunders did his master's uh, degree on the importance of touch within a Christian fellowship. Some power within the history of our church in this sort of greeting one another, this touch. Feel the warmth of that hug or that handshake and receive that peace. Where you find people of peace, promoting peace, practicing peace, you find the kingdom of God. I believe God's kingdom is present when peace is being exchanged, promoted, enjoyed. The gospel, the good news, is about a kingdom. It's about a realm. And that realm is... um, That realm expresses peace, or peace is present in that realm. Jesus came into the reality of an occupying army amongst a people oppressed by that occupying army. The Roman, uh, the Roman Empire did not come about peacefully. It came about through conquest and was built on the backs of slaves. I mean, that's the empire. And many of the empires that we live in were uh, achieved at a cost of the people before and uh, the need for slave labor. Like, Jesus came into that place and he said... The Spirit of the Lord is on me. And he recites this um, verse that's describing Jubilee and says, it's fulfilled now in your midst. I am the uh, arbiter of Jubilee. Messiah's come. All that stuff Isaiah said, like get ready like the swords and the plowshares and, and the kind of messianic beauty that Isaiah talked about, it's now 
coming in your midst, of the increase of his government and his peace. There'll be no, it starts today. And Jesus is announcing the uh, inauguration of the kingdom of God, this place where there's peace. And I've got a symbol up on the board that describes this kind of peace. Um, and we're in this place where, like the Emancipation Proclamation, there's this sort of jubilee is come. But we're in the, the period of civil war where we're working that out on this planet. Like it's been proclaimed, and now Jesus' disciples carry that into reality, and there are opposition. There is opposition to that reality. And Jesus gives these parables, like this landowner, this king goes away, but it's the stewards that are responsible to manage this realm, this kingdom, to propagate it, to grow it. So we're in that space between the proclamation of Jubilee and the working out of Jubilee on this planet. And there will be a time when its completeness comes, but there is a kind of responsibility the stewards of the kingdom has. And we'll see outposts of that kingdom on this planet, perhaps just for a season, but these moments where we see peace being expressed between people, between people and God, people and one another, with yourself, with the planet. Um, these are signs of God's kingdom that we can express, promote, embody. Let's create an outpost of the kingdom. How about? Through this particular fruit of the Spirit. Probably need all of those aspects or qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. Bobette did a good job teaching about love. I enjoyed how she used that picture of the cross through the centuries as this curiosity amongst artists even artists that might not have known Jesus or identified as Christian. There's something about Jesus' sacrifice that pictures agape love. And now we follow, as, as the Father sent me, Jesus said, I'm sending you as those couriers of kingdom peace, which at times may be costly, but we can bring tangible forms of peace where we are. The first uh, and most important aspect of peace is peace with God. I think every um, human being, there's this primal desire for peace with something transcendent and a recognition that there is a brokenness or there's not that in oneself. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember um, coming to college, the first day, moving in, meeting my roommate, Mike. 
I thought Mike was someone's dad dropping his kid off at college. This was my roommate, honestly. He was 28 and had gone almost bald. So he looked older than he was. And, um, you know, my parents were relatively young parents. They were pretty young when they started having kids. So I thought, oh, this is someone's dad. No, this is my roommate. I knew he was a Christian. Um, partly because of the verse cards that he taped up on the walls. So, like, that was a giveaway. But I had wanted peace with God for as long as I could remember and thought it's a no-brainer, God, that we should be okay because I am a goody two-shoes. Is I don't know where that phrase came from, but, like, I was a really, really good kid and didn't do with those other kids. In fact, I was picked on by those other kids. I had a sister who was nine years younger, and like, oh, my world revolved around Allie, and so coming home to care for Allie and play with Allie, like, I was just a really good kid, but I could feel, and I read the Bible, and like, I went to church. I could feel I didn't have peace with God, and it baffled me. Like, I'm doing all the right things that I know are good things, but why do I feel so far from you? And Mike, my older, bald roommate, began to tell his story some evening early on in my freshman year. I was waiting for him to tell me because, like, I wasn't going to ask, but I knew he had what I wanted. I could see it. I could just see it on his face. I could feel something about him. Like, you have peace with God. It's pretty obvious. I don't. Like, what is the secret? And I wanted to know, but I wasn't going to ask him. Imagine, there may be people who see it in you, but who aren't going to ask you. Mike, in a moment of vulnerability, just talked about some of the hard things that happened in his upbringing. And this encounter he had with Jesus, the, the bit that I was missing was grace. I didn't understand grace. Not by acts of righteousness, which you have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. I was trying to use acts of righteousness as that bridge to peace with God, and it wasn't working. Mike said, you know, achieving peace with God through doing all the right stuff is like trying to swim from San Diego to Hawaii. The very, very best swimmers can get out a few miles, but they will all drown. <laughs> Jesus is offering free rides. All you have to do is reach your hand up and let him take you to Hawaii. That idea of it being a free gift, and my only responsibility was saying yes, not being good. You're not able to be good enough like even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, it says in the prophets. Like you don't understand God's holiness if you think that 
being a good person is what's needed. Saying yes. Jesus' death and resurrection. There, there was something cosmic that happened in that exchange. Jesus absorbed, as the uh, some Native American version of the Bible says, our bad hearts and our broken ways. There was an absorption quality in that death, that taking on of the broken ways and the bad hearts. And his resurrection was proof that is sufficient to bridge this gap between God and humans. And the only requirement is saying yes. It cannot be achieved in any other way. You try to swim there, it's not going to work. Maybe some of you haven't really realized that. That it's not about the good stuff you do. It's all good, the good stuff you do. It's not a way to make peace with God. If you're trying to make peace with God by being good, it's not going to work. Saying yes to the death and resurrection of Jesus as that pathway, as that boat ride. Like, that's the only way. I really recommend it. So, like, that was a long time ago for me, freshman in college. Uh, there have been times where I haven't felt God close, where I've, but I've never doubted that I am accepted by God through that. Like, even though I've had times where I'm doing stupid things or wandering, I, it has never, ever occurred to me that my peace with God is broken. For those of you who've made that, you need to be reminded, like, not by acts of righteousness, which you've done. It's His mercy. That saying yes that you did, that was enough. That was enough. You have peace with God. I don't care what you've done. You didn't do anything to deserve peace with God. You can't do anything to break peace with God. Once you've said yes, I will accept that free gift and not try to earn my way. I remember right when I realized that and accepted that, my first response was, oh, I got to do something. But it was maybe motivated differently. It's like just out of joy, not out of because I want, I need to do this certain gyration or dance in order to get God's accept. I've got it. Then good works come like out of you because of joy. <laughs> not because you're trying to, striving to get God's approval. Peace with others. His purpose, Ephesians says, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. I was telling our house group uh, a little while ago, and I think I've mentioned it here before as well. Probably about 20 years ago, I realized that I was having like violent images coming into my head. I couldn't cross a set of train tracks without 
a violent picture coming in my mind that was related to train and train tracks, like unbidden. I think daily, probably multiple times a day, and about 20 years ago, it occurred to me, I don't think this is normal. So I asked God about it. What came to mind was when I was that goody two-shoes kid getting picked on, I would imagine myself as the most amazing martial artist, and man, would I get my revenge on those guys that teased me. (laughs) I would play those thoughts over and over. So it, it was related to my anger and unforgiveness and opening a door to violence out of the sort of ways in which we wound one another. And once I recognized that, God invited me now, try to think of every guy and situation where you were picked on or teased and forgive them. I did my best to go through the catalog in my memory and extended forgiveness to those who had wounded me with their words or with their actions. Violent images uh, went away. It's not that I didn't have to be vigilant to try to manage that and, and keep reminding myself and saying, nope, you don't have any power over me. There was something cosmic that happened in forgiving those guys. There's something in the heavenlies that changed when I made peace with those people. It's not that my peace with others was dependent on their saying they're sorry. By now, that's basically impossible or very, very difficult. I could achieve peace with others simply by extending forgiveness. Vengeance is mine, God says. Like when stuff, when others intentionally wound, vengeance is mine. And in this world, there is this belief that we can achieve peace through violence. Playing out right now in the Middle East and in other places around the world. Oh, I'll bet we could get them to let us live here by um, doing violent things to them. Then they'll be like, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. We should have let you live here. Oh, if we bomb you into the Stone Age, that will deter you that will mean that you will be live peacefully with us. That's a lie that the enemy propagates. Peace can be achieved through violence is a lie. There may be times in history where you see it kind of shaping up. It's like, oh, you know, maybe that worked out. Ultimately, you're fueling the enemy by thinking that you can achieve peace by being violent. Jesus is looking for people of peace. There's a, there's a university student movement in Israel called the Fellowship of Christian Students in Israel, FCSI. It is made up of both Hebrew-speaking, Christian Arab or formerly Christian Muslim background, 
and Hebrew-speaking uh, Christian Hebrew speakers or Jews who have confessed Jesus, Messianic Jews. One movement, and my friend who's been there multiple times, uh, the board of directors made up of both Arabs and Hebrew speakers, uh, says it's so moving to see Arab students worshiping with all their heart in Hebrew and to see uh, Hebrew-speaking students worshiping in Arabic. Like it's a really powerful picture of these students working out. Not saying it's hard, not hard. And right now, all of the Israeli students are being called up to serve. And they've got their Arab friends and Arab friends who are both of them feeling the civilian casualties of this and keeping it as best they can out of the peace with others that they forged in this community. That takes work. It can happen. Um, Romans 12, 18 says, so far as it depends on others asking for forgiveness and saying they're sorry, live at peace with all people. So far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. You have that choice. You have that power. It's not dependent on the other person saying they're sorry. All of us are carrying wounds from other people. Living at peace is not dependent on them recognizing what they did. So far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Peacekeeping is a different thing than peacemaking. Like keeping the peace, like let's just not rock the boat, that's one thing. Blessed are the peacemakers. They're going to be called the kin of God, like the offspring of God. Like you are related to God. If you go into a place of conflict to forge peace. That's peacemaking. And you cannot do that as a human being. There is something supernatural required. People without peace with God, I don't believe can appropriately or in a lasting wage forge peace between others. You have the superpower to enter into conflict and make peace. Peacemakers who sow in peace, like the harvest that comes up will be justice, righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of justice and righteousness. It's James 3.18. I want you to Ask, you don't have to do it now, the Holy Spirit to give you that supernatural power to forgive the people who've wounded you. It's going to happen again and again and again. And you're not going to be able to forge peace with that person or those others. And it might be a nation or a tribe or an organization. You're going to need the Holy Spirit's help to forgive. And then the ability to sow peace in places of conflict. The gospel has come when that, when that happens. You see a peacemaker sowing peace, 
the kingdom of God is kissing right that spot in that place that they are making peace out of spaces of conflict. Let's talk about peace with self. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is, if you can love your neighbor, you can love yourself and vice versa. There are lots of assaults on peace with self. Lots and lots of ways where you are finding yourself ill at peace, uncomfortable with yourself, maybe even hating yourself in some ways. First of all, there's this inner critic. And for some people, the inner critic is super obnoxious and loud. For others, not as loud. But like all of us have that you idiot inner critic. That's an assault on peace with self. Of course, social media is this invitation to comparison. You've got the highlights reel of all your friends in front of your face all the best stuff that they're doing or that's happening. And your temptation to compare yourself is huge. That's an assault on your sense of peace, like being at peace in your own skin, being okay with yourself. And of course, body image stuff all around, especially for women, girls. Like those are assaults on our sense of peace with self. What you have to do is recognize the, the voice of the outer advocate who accepts you can confront the inner critic who's against you. Are you able to access the voice of the outer advocate? You don't need to turn a blind eye to your faults. I'm not saying just like plug your ears, look at yourself in the mirror, tell yourself how great you are. In fact, I think it's better if you can rightly hold your faults and recognize and hold God's acceptance of you at the same time. God's acceptance of you is not related to those things that you ought not to have done and ought not to have thought or said. You can hold God's acceptance while recognizing that you are imperfect, that you're you're a little messed up, as we all are. Hold your faults alongside your belovedness. That's the key to peace with self. Don't ignore your faults. Don't let them take over your sense of who you are or your worth. Like that comes from your belovedness, your acceptance by God. Doesn't mean you need to ignore the stuff that you got to work on. Uh, my chief sin is a sloth, like taking the easy way. Like my saying is the easy way is hard enough. So I'm just going to take the easy way. Actually, uh, the Enneagram book written by a couple of guys, Richard Rohr and someone else, says the primal person is this type, this nine type, like the basic human being without this world operates as like, hey, we're just relaxed, like just be like, here's where it gets me in trouble. If you hear a noise in your car, if you ignore it, it will go away. <laughs> There's some tension in a relationship. Like 
don't go there. Don't explore that. Eventually, it'll work itself out. Here's the cool thing. Often it does. <laughs> so, like, the, the nine personality is actually a pretty good person to be. Of course, it can bite you, as it has me. And this is a perennial, this, the sin of the nine is sloth, right? Like, I can sit with a TV show or a game on my phone for a really long time. I'm, I'm changing slowly, but likely I will have this fault for my whole life. I'm not sure I will ever overcome it completely. Of course, there's good things about, you know, there's peacemakers that is the way that this personality is described in the Enneagram. But there, there are things about me that are likely going to be with me my whole life that are false. Ought not to. I ought not to always take the easy way. Being able to accept God's love doesn't mean I won't strive to be better. In fact, it motivates me to be better. God, you love me even with this. The easy way is hard enough. Ignoring things that I ought to pay attention to. Playing games on my phone. Like, yeah, that's dumb. You see that and you love me and accept me. Like, when I can hold those things, I'm actually motivated to, not out of self-hatred, that's the other lie, like, that's like violence to yourself. Oh, if I'm violent to myself, then I'll change. That's like, oh, violence begets peace. Nope. When you believe that violence begets peace or that self-hatred will motivate you to change, you are fueling the enemy. There is an enemy at work a cosmic enemy, an unseen enemy. And you add fuel to that energy, that entity, Satan, that person, that being. When you agree that violence begets peace or that self-hatred will help me to change myself, you don't want to do that. You don't want to play into the enemy's hands. Hatred for others and self only fuels our enemy. And we cede power. Not good. How about peace with creation? God saw everything he made and went, wow, amazing. So, so good. I'm going to tell the first human beings, I want you to care for this place. The, the word rule over in that first command in Genesis 1.28, uh, Rada, it really shows up in other places as like govern, take steward. Like have, I'm giving you authority to co-create with me a flourishing environment. I need you to watch over, to govern, to encourage. Uh, St. Francis thought of creation as a sibling. You know, brother sun, sister moon. I don't know if anyone saw brother Mun and 
Sun and Sister Moon playing yesterday, but they were playing yesterday. Eclipse, I don't think we could see it from here. Like we have the same dad. That's my brother. That's my sister. Like that kind of sense of connectedness to creation. Creation is just this outworking of God's love. It's not, I don't know how intentional. I just think it came out of God's character, this creation, this universe. It's a byproduct of God, God's goodness, God's love, God's creativity spilled over. It could not be contained. Therefore, we have trees. Um, I want you, God said, to give the land a rest every seven years. Like every seven years, let's just let the soil rest. I asked a soil scientist friend, over the course of 50 years, if you didn't plant and harvest once in every seven, would you achieve the same uh, productivity or outcome? Like the same volume, the same number of bushels. He thought, yeah, probably. Probably it would be about the same number of bushels of corn if every seven years you didn't do that. You waited over 50 years. I think the soil would probably produce the same amount. To tell an agrarian society, I want every seven years you not to plant. There's a faith with God thing that's being tested there. But I think there's also this caring for the earth. Lots of agrarian rules in uh, the Hebrew scriptures. Numbers 35, do not pollute the land, it says. It's talking about bloodshed. It's talking about idolatry. You know, there's a kind of way in which our misbehavior pollutes the land. It's perhaps what uh, I'm not sure that the uh, passage about the earth groaning, those sorts of things, are talking about the ways in which we see uh, the the planet dying today. I don't think that existed then. But there are ways in which our sin affects the land. If my people who called by my name, well, you know, I will heal their land. Stop sinning. I'll heal your land. There's, we live in a symbiotic relationship with the stuff around us. We breathe out carbon dioxide and breathe in oxygen. The plants breathe out oxygen and breathe in carbon dioxide. Like there's this kind of relationship we have that God made in God's wisdom and beauty that we have with the earth. If you had a garden that you cared for and someone told you, I'm going to pay you a lot of money if I can just poison it and it will be dead for several generations. It might be tempting, like a million bucks, but if you depended on that garden, and thought, no, my kids are going to need to depend on that garden, probably it would be a bad transaction. My dad used to say, if you treat your car right, it will treat you right. Did anyone's father ever say that? There's this way in which uh, you treat the thing well and care for it well, it's going to operate longer. It's going to do well by you. I think that's the same concept of us 
being conscious of and caring for the earth. You know, stuff we make, like cars, is good. Stuff God makes is holy. There's a sacredness. The trees are different than a car in that there's a kind of sacredness because it comes out of God's character and God's creative power. I appreciate that he's given us creativity to create cars. And the stuff we make is beautiful and good. But the earth, the mountains, you know, take a look at James Ewing's photography. It will lead you to worship because there's something sacred about the the planet and the things that God made. Peace with creation. We are co-conspirators with God in Jubilee, bringing about Jubilee. You know, we are the stewards of Jubilee. We're the agents of renewal. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the harbingers of good things to come. Be good for the poor and good for the oppressed and good for the blind and lame. Like you are announcers and signs and you can bring forth those signs of what's to come. Our job is peacemaking in these four areas. Um, And it's evidence of the Holy Spirit when this stuff is happening. Where is God at work? Find the places of peace. You'll find where God's at work. Right? Peace with God being forged. The Alpha Course, like God's at work. Join those places where you see peace being forged. Peace with God. I think there are places where that's being promoted. We ought to be in those places. Peace with others. Places like the Fellowship of Christian Students in Israel. Like we want to be alongside God and working with God in those places. Peace with self. I don't know. Center for Christian Counseling. Those places that are promoting internal peacemaking. That's where you want to be. Peace with creation. There are lots of places. Arasha is... One of those, it's a group of Christians who are actively um, engaging in cleaning up the earth and making peace. Even when you find that there are people who don't identify as Christian who are making peace, probably God's working there. It wouldn't be bad to add a little Holy Spirit to that group or to that place. Enter those spaces and those people that are promoting peace Because if you've got peace with God, you've got the ear of God in your prayers in ways that others may not. You've got the mind of Christ in thinking creatively. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you infuse that in places where you see peace being forged with God, with one another, with self, and with creation? Let me pray for us. God, we're grateful that you made shalom possible, that you are 
the essence of shalom, completeness, rest. We await that day when it will be full. Until that time, would you make us agents of that renewal? Make us peacemakers so that when people see us, they say, they must be related to God. Show us where we need to make peace with others and ourselves and with the earth. Remind those of us who've said yes to your forgiveness that we don't have to try to earn peace with you, that you've already granted it, regardless of how far we've strayed. Now take us from here and send us as your agents of the kingdom in the empires of this world. In Jesus' name, amen.